Welcome into the Wednesday Bible Study. Uh, glad you could join us. Uh, right now, if you're someone who watches the Wednesday Bible Study, uh, hey, she, she bounces around to different locations. Uh, we'll be back to the broadcast plaza and teleport as far as the studio, uh, Lord willing, coming up next Wednesday. Uh, so, we, so last week we had uh, live from the porch. Uh, today it's live from the conference room. Uh, as my youngest son uh, did come down with COVID-19, so I was exposed to it. Uh, praise the Lord. He had uh, one bad day. Everything else has been fine. Uh, he hasn't had any other issues. He's close to returning to work. Uh, Sherry and I haven't had any issues. Praise the Lord for that. So far in our time of quarantine is almost over. But we've set up another uh, location for you. Uh, Chris Adler, once again, uh, the man who comes up with the plan, has uh, made it possible for us to have and not have to miss any of these Wednesday Bible studies unnecessarily, and that's great. Uh, so thank you for joining us. A couple things you need to know. TheManChurch.com is uh, alive and well. We've got some live events coming up as uh, we'll be uh, doing the, the men's gatherings, and then these churches are implementing the 40-week uh, curriculum, uh, or at least uh, some version of our, our curriculum. You, you can customize it uh, to your own church calendar or your community calendar, but we do offer 40 weeks uh, of a curriculum uh, to disciple the men. We do the high challenge with the high equipping. First Baptist, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Coming up, uh, if you're watching this and listening to it, uh, the week of, uh, which would be uh, today is Wednesday. I, you know what? In quarantine, I don't have any idea what what, what day this is. Uh, but uh, I know that coming up Sunday's the 27th. So uh, uh, whatever Wednesday it is before the 27th, uh, First Baptist Tuscaloosa. Uh, then on the 30th, next Wednesday, we'll be in Douglas, Georgia. Uh, if you would like to find those details, on October the 4th, we'll be just outside of Indianapolis and Avon, Indiana. If you want to see those that are coming up, uh, you you can find those at BurgessMinistries.com uh, under upcoming events. If we can help you in any way, shape, or form uh, to set up a discipleship strategy for the men of your church or your community, uh, then we're here to help, themanchurch.com. Let's open in a word of prayer and let's jump right into what Peter has to say in our ongoing study of 1 Peter. Lord Jesus, thank you for our time together today. Uh, during these times in which we live, Lord, uh, if there has ever been a time that we need to go back and revisit um, uh, the church versus the world, and today we're going to get specific about what does it look like uh, to be a member of your church, to be a follower of Jesus, and our response to the governing, governing authorities of the world in which we live. Uh, help us to understand why you, Lord, created world government, and what is our response until you return uh, to give us the new, the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem in the meantime in this fallen world uh, what is the role of the government and our role in response? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So that is the question this week. And if you want to get your Bible out, here we go. First Peter, uh, we're in chapter 2. We're going to go through verses 13 uh, through 25. I, I, I thought about, since it's all about submitting to authority today, also dealing with wives and husbands. Uh, but by the time I was done with uh, with even just these verses, these 12 verses in 13 through 25, it is more than enough today. And uh, so we'll take marriage and, and wives and husbands starting in chapter 3 of 1 Peter, and we'll we'll do that next Wednesday. So uh, let, let's, let's turn to these verses now, uh, and let's begin by saying what Peter is saying to— remember, he's, he's talking to Christians who are being persecuted— uh, they're, they're sojourners. They're, they're scattering. They're fleeing. They're running. Uh, they're, they're worried. Uh, and, and the people that are after them is, is their government. 
Uh, it, it is the Roman Empire. So, so here's what, um, what Peter says in verse 13. Remember this. This, some, this is one thing we have to get. As followers of Christ, we will find that most everything we're called to is counterculture. It, it rarely ever isn't. And one, I want you to picture you've got a government that is saying we're going to eradicate the church and we're going to kill you. Now, we're not to the point of we're going to kill you yet in our country, but we are to the point that the American church is under persecution. These things that are going on with these pastors right now, uh, the John MacArthur's and, and uh, I can't remember the names of some of the other pastors in California, what they're going through, really pay attention Really pay attention. This is really, really important, and it ties in nicely uh, with what's going on now. And then you also have pastors now that are saying, well, uh, uh, heard a very prominent pastor say, there's really no mandate biblically for us to be gathering and meeting in person anyway in order to have church, except in Hebrews chapter 10. What is he talking about? But anyway, right now, very important to understand who we are as a church in a fallen creation and our response to a government who who is— and may continue to even a higher degree persecute the church. It certainly was going on here as Peter was writing to his fellow church members. Verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. We have a lot to unpack right out of the gate. Can you imagine that you are you're under the authority of you know Nero will is going to come into power and kill Peter and Paul, and here is Peter who will be martyred by the government, and he says, "Be subject uh, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governor sent by him." So you want me to subject myself to to Nero? Yes. So so what does this mean? This the question of submission uh, for followers of Christ. Uh, we're we're to bow to God's order in the world, in society, in the church, and in the home. And that's what Peter is about. To, he's going on a journey now to talk about this 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 topic of submission. And when you're dealing with human beings, the topic of submission is not our favorite. It was my problem when I was a recovering cultural Christian. My problem was that I was submitting to the authority of Rick, period. Uh, that's who I served. That's who I bowed to. And that's whose authority uh, that I would be subject to. Okay, so I would subject myself to Rick's authority and nobody, nobody else's if I could avoid it. Well, as followers of Christ, we subject ourselves to God's order in the world, not, not just in heaven, not just in the church, in the world, in society, yes, the church, and yes, our home. So, number one, we are to submit to human laws, as he clearly says in verse 13a, letter A, submit to, 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 to the people that, that he has placed in these positions. Then we also are to submit to heaven's Lord, that, of course, being Christ, because he says, um, be, uh, be, be subject 
uh, for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So we're supposed to subject ourselves to the uh, to the authority of, of those he's placed in power, human laws, but also we submit ultimately to heaven's Lord, and also we do that for the Lord's sake. Uh, Peter's answer to civil wrongs and social injustices was very similar to, to the Apostle Paul in Romans 13. If you didn't see our Bible study on Romans 13, it's available at BurgessMinistries.com. You can go back and find when um, we did our series on the book of Romans. And you see that Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2, 13 through 25, they, they've got a lot in common. And they should because these are two men who are followers of Christ. So, so Peter... Uh, you know, had uh, the Lord's example in mind, uh, and you can find these uh, when when Jesus was dealing uh, with the temple tax in Matthew 17, uh, verses 24 through 27, and of course the famous answer that Jesus gave the heckling Herodians in Matthew 22, 16 through 22. So re- first of all, we, we have to know this. The Greek word that's being used here is, is, is hypotasso. That, that, that's what that's the word for submit. It, it's hypotasso. So so what is hypo, hypotasso? Uh, it, it, it is the military uh, word. The Greek military used this word, and this dealt with rank and file. It's uh, it's not an organized uh, you know uh, unorganized group of soldiers. Um, you know they they do uh, what the, what the person who who has a ranking higher than them uh, they follow a pecking order for lack of a better term. And uh, the soldiers who are at the low end of it, they may not even like the orders that are given. They may not even agree with them. But obedience to authority is the very essence of any military. Uh, so let, let's look at what Jesus said. Let's, let's take our Bible and turn it over to Matthew 17. Matthew 17, because this is going to be a running theme today. And when you leave here today, you may or may not like it, uh, but the Lord is going to be very clear on uh, his response uh, to uh, earthly governments, and we're going to get into why God created them to begin with, and I found that uh, research this week to be fascinating. Uh, So let's go to Matthew 17. Here's Jesus in verse 24, the temple tax. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of, of of the tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon, talking to Peter, from whom do kings of the earth take toll or taxed, from their sons or from others? And when he said this, when when Peter said back to Jesus, from others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea, cast a hook, and take the first fish fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel, which uh, is what they needed for the, for the tax. Take that and give that uh, to them for me and for yourself. All right, so, so let's, we'll come back to that. Now let's go to Matthew 22. Matthew 22, just flip over a few pages. We'll go to Matthew 22, and we see Jesus taking on the heckling of the Herodians. And this is a very famous passage. And here, here's what he said in 22, and this will be in uh, verses 16 
through 22. Let's listen to what our Lord and Savior says. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words, and they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and, and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why do you put me to the test? You hypocrites, show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarii, and and Jesus said to him, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, we know this very well, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were marveled, and they left him, and they went away. So here is Jesus speaking very clearly about the role of government versus the role of our submission uh, to uh, to our Lord and Savior, uh, and to our our Heavenly Father, and to the power of the Holy Spirit, He's basically saying, "Look, these earthly governments have been set up uh, by by God, and they've been set up, which we're going to get into, basically to keep law and order. So pay the taxes to them, follow their laws, and we'll get into when we don't follow their laws today." And just uh, don't make such a big deal out of it because ultimately my kingdom is not of this world. You you really are free because you belong to me. Uh, you know, use the example of uh, talking about, well, who do the rulers take the tax from? Do they take the taxes from their own children, their own sons, the ones that are on the inside, their family? No, they don't. Uh, but they do from everybody else. So these governments are not God. Uh, you belong to God. Jesus saying just what we just finished, give to God what is God's, uh, which is you, your life. You belong to him. These earthly governments are are finite. They're passing through. They're here for a moment. Give them the taxes uh, with with their pictures on it because my kingdom is not of this world and you belong to me. So you start thinking to yourself, so do we sometimes make too big a deal out of earthly governments? Well, you do if you're trying to find revival in the government. You do if you're looking for the government to solve your problems. Yes, if you're looking for the government to truly set you free. Let me tell you something. Uh, We may live in a constitutional republic if you're watching this and you live in the United States of America, and you may think that you're free here, even though these freedoms are are being taken away. But we are, are more free than a lot of other countries, okay? But I will say this. If you don't know Jesus, you're not free. And I will say this. If you ended up in a tyrannical dictatorship, but you've been redeemed by Jesus Jesus Christ. Remember our study of John? You are free indeed. Freedom is not given or taken by some government. It is given and taken by Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. And I think sometimes we look to the government to do what God is supposed to do in our lives. And we better be giving to God what is God's. And certainly go ahead and give to the earthly governments what they ask for. Uh, and there are some lines that we don't cross, and we will get to those. So, so let's talk a little bit about this this rank and file, this submission that we're talking about. So, the Greek word that is used here for this, you know, is normally used only for the works of God, you know, um, our, our Creator. But here, what Peter is talking about, he's he's specifically saying, "Let me tell you how you deal." Uh, with with things in the human creation, the the institution um, uh, that has been created here on earth, the law of the land. We are to follow the law of the land 
unless it is in conflict with the laws of God, and that is yet to come in our study today. The follower of Jesus is to obey the law of the land for the Lord's sake. Why? Because the Scriptures tell us that established government is a divine institution, meaning it was created by God. Uh, we, we find out in Romans 13, Paul says uh, that, that government was instituted and I think where some people have made a mistake, just because God instituted government doesn't mean that government in a fallen creation is holy. I've heard people compare it to marriage before, and that's a bad comparison because you have to look. Marriage existed before the fall. Marriage existed before the fall. He did call that holy. And we know that the writer of Hebrews says it should be held in a place of honor among all, and the marriage bed should never be defiled. Government was established after the fall. That's important to make that, because you're going to hear that sometimes. Well, I mean, these are two things that God God instituted. Or you hear some people say ordained. Uh, he, he, He ordained marriage and he ordained government. He didn't know. Government was made after the fall. Marriage was put together before there was ever sin in this world. Uh, that's two completely different things, and they don't serve the same purpose at all. Uh, so let's let's talk about the history of this institution of government. Okay, let's 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 get our biblical history first. So this happened after the flood. There were no worldly governments that had been instituted by God prior to the flood. Now, hang on, this is going to get really good. Okay, hang on, you're going to stay with me. So before the flood. Uh, laws governing society uh, did not exist. People just governed themselves. Hang on to that. Govern. This is before the flood. And some people call this um, in, in, in the days of Noah. Hang on to that line. Matthew 24. Somebody write down the days of Noah. This, is, this, this really spoke to me this week, okay? So in the days of Noah... Some people call it the age of conscience. Many people just went with their own conscience. That's true, but probably a better, uh, looking at some of the commentaries this week, a better description is it was actually the age of permissive, permissiveness, meaning people just did whatever they wanted to do. Everyone al- were, They were allowed to pursue his or her own particular lifestyle. That's what they did. Uh, and the Bible tells us this uh, in Genesis chapter 4 through Genesis chapter 6. And we know when we get to, to 6, this is when God's had enough of, of, of the evil of, of a man, that, that there was nothing that man wouldn't do, and God even regretted making mankind. This brought the destruction uh, of people. Uh, God went to ever how many people were there then, down to only eight because of the evil of the world. But remember, in the days of Noah... Underline that. In the days of Noah, worldly governments did not exist. People governed themselves, and they chased their own pursuits, and it led to evil and wickedness because now sin has come in the world, and because sin came into the world, when God took Noah off the boat, then we started with earthly governments, mainly to keep law and order because people couldn't govern themselves. Remember Jesus says in Matthew 24, turn with me to this, about the end times. 
we, we got to understand this reference that Jesus referenced here as in the days of Noah, we don't need to miss all he's saying in this, okay? Uh, for, and we've made it clear one of the things that Jesus said that we'll see as he approaches his return is lawlessness. We've covered that. But let's unpack this a little bit. Um, talking about when Jesus in Matthew 24 is talking about the days of Noah, starting in verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So we don't know the day and time of Jesus' return. We don't know it now. Anybody says they know it, they don't know it. If somebody says they know it, then you know that it's not that day. Okay, because we just read what the Bible said. For as were the days of Noah, underline that, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving into marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. As in the days of Noah, well, one thing that we need to know now in the days of Noah was lawlessness and people did not want to be governed by any institution other than themselves. You know what the days of Noah, what they were, what they were riddled with? Anarchy. No law and order of any kind. They didn't, they didn't respect God. They didn't have any worldly governments. They did whatever they wanted to do, whenever they wanted to do it. And Jesus said, oh, yeah, people were carrying on just like God was going to let that go. And they were doing whatever they wanted to do whenever they wanted to do it. And when Noah and his family got onto the ark and got in that, that, that gigantic uh, uh, contraption, they were just carrying on with their normal stuff, not knowing that God's wrath was coming upon them. So will be the return of the Son of Man. So will be my return. And what's going on in our country right now? Lawlessness and a desire for what? To remove all law and order, all government institutions, and have mob rule, anarchy, and people doing whatever they want to do, whenever they want to do it, and answering to no one but themselves. I'd make a note of that. All right, so let's talk about when God did establish after the flood what he did. So God established a covenant with Noah, and then he instituted uh, the principle of capital punishment for murder. Write this down. You'll find this in Genesis 9-6. Do you realize before Noah got off the boat, there was no, if you killed somebody, you just killed them. And if you could get away with it, you got away with it. And so God says, that I've already seen what this led to. I've killed everybody but your family, Noah. From this day forward, we're going to have capital punishment. And capital punishment remains to this day for people who kill uh, someone innocently in innocent blood. Uh, this principle stands today, even in the church age of grace, capital punishment is still alive and well. God has not changed his mind on that, just like he's never changed his mind on his standard for marriage. It stands. Uh, God's administration of human affairs lasted from Noah to Nimrod. So from Noah to Nimrod, we, we, we have things that God said you, you can do, you can't do, and capital punishment for those that take innocent life. Well, then comes along, comes along Nimrod. Here's another thing that's going to blow your mind today. So Nimrod comes along. Uh, that name means the rebel. 
And you're very familiar probably with the Bible account of the Tower of Babel. If you're not, this was when the people began to try to build a tower up to God where he was because they wanted to declare themselves equal with God. Nimrod led the way on this, and I want you to listen to this. Here's what Nimrod, at this point, there's no earthly government. We've moved from people just governing themselves to Noah's off the boat. Now we're being governed by God, and he's told us things we can and can't do. Now Nimrod says, no, that's not good enough for us. What we want to is all the people here that all speak the same language. We're going to get together. We're going to build this tower, and let me tell you what he desired. Are you ready for this? If you break it down, here's what Nimrod wanted with the Tower of Babel. One world government. That's what Nimrod wanted. We're all going to be on the same page, under the same government, speaking the same language, all doing the same thing. Worldwide, we're going to be one deal. I'd make a note of that as well. And guess what Guess what? God's response to one world government was? Shutting it down. He didn't let it happen. Not going to happen because y'all are so evil. If you're, if you're that organized and it's that simple, there's no telling what evil that you will try to do. Not going to allow it. I'm going to come up with different tongues and different languages. I'm going to spread you out, get you away from all being here together, going to shut your little tower down, and there won't be any world one world government. And what are we looking for for the Antichrist to reveal himself? We're looking for the Antichrist to be involved in a one world government. What are people trying to do right now in our world to establish a one-world government? Guys, these are important things to notice. Nobody knows the day and times, but boy, the birth pains. Be paying attention on what's going on in your country and in your world. So God shuts that down. Then the rule of law was formalized and, 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 was, and was put in a code and the Mosaic law, and then that was given to the people at Sinai. Uh, Israel's laws were summarized in the Decalogue, or what we call the, the Ten Commandments, and everything goes with that. That's in Exodus. Write that down. 20, 1 through 17. Most of you know that, but you may not. If you're new, put that down. That's where you'll find God handing out his law to now the people. Here comes, y'all, here comes a, a one. We're, we're going to go into governments being established in the world. I'm going to give you the code, the Decalogue, and that comprised, really, if you read the whole thing from 20, uh, 1 through 17, it really... It, eventually compromised 613 separate commandments covering all phases of human life and society. God says, this is how my people that are separated away from everybody else, this is how I want you to live. It was a magnificent legal code. However, over time, the rabbis debased it. Uh, They became infatuated with their so-called oral law, an ever-growing add-on to the simple laws of God uh, with the clumsy traditions of men. So the rule of law is, uh, is, is the mark of all civilized societies. Government is an institution of God. A country's laws must be obeyed for the common good of all. For Peter, the emperor, was, was Nero, and the governors were you know, Pilate, Festus, Felix, uh, and uh, and so he – let me tell you what Peter did not do. Now, Nero is going to kill Peter. We know what happened. And I know I know right now some of you are not going to like this. Let me tell you what Peter did not do. He did not lead a revolt. He didn't lead a march. Um, you know why? Because he knew what you couldn't do, what didn't work. 
Peter knew that you can't deal with social ills unless you deal with spiritual ills. You don't return evil for evil. You're not going to solve spiritual problems with marches and, and, uh, and protests and revolts to overthrow the government and these kinds of things. Peter knew that the government was established by God, and until the government, because uh, we know that the government, uh, well, you know, before he gets to this point, the the uh, the Sanhedrin had told him that he couldn't talk about Jesus anymore in Acts chapter four. Well, he certainly went ahead and talked about Jesus. So we're not talking about you do anything the government tells you to do. They, but you do everything that they're that you're supposed to do, even if it's an evil government, unless they try to get you to go against God's laws. So we 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 submit ourselves to these government, uh, gov- these worldly governments, uh, to every obedience of man. But there are limits. There are limits, and we're going to get to those now. We are not called to obey laws that violate morality, and that this will also come into marriage next week, or our obedience to God. A German soldier, was not, if he was a Christian, was not called by God to kill innocent women and children. We are not called by God to bow to an idol uh, or to refrain from talking to others about Christ. Uh, I gave you another, an example a minute ago. The Hebrew young man who did not bow to Nebuchadnezzar's image in Daniel 13, uh, verse 3. Uh, Daniel refused to obey the law of Darius, uh, forbidding any kind of prayer. Uh, you find that uh, in Daniel uh, 1.6. Uh, King Saul told his bodyguard to massacre the priest of the Lord. In 1 Samuel 22.17, those, uh, those men, didn't, the bodyguard did not do that because he answered to God, not to Saul. Uh, and we know, and I just gave you this, that Peter uh, and John refused to obey the Sanhedrin in Acts 4.19. And this is the very same Peter that's telling us that we are to what? Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor or supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those that do good. The same Peter that wrote that when the Sanhedrin said, if you don't stop talking about Jesus, we're going to beat you. Uh, and then he says, well, as, as for what you have to do, you have to do. But now I'm answering to Jesus who told me to go into the world and told me to make disciples and told me to proclaim his name. And there is no name under heaven and earth in which anybody can be saved. So we have examples in the Old Testament and the New Testament that it, the, the people of God and, and in the church age, that would be the disciples and followers of Christ have been redeemed by the final lamb. The church is to follow the laws of the land unless, and you see this happening with John MacArthur and others, the law of the land calls us to go against God. We do not bow to that authority, nor do we obey those laws, and then whatever happens, happens. Pages of history, which sometimes I know is, is hard for us to comprehend, are filled with terrible people in the role of government. The law is the law. It has to be administered. Uh, and, uh, and, the, uh, and at times, some of the people administering these laws are horrible specimens of human depravity. Uh, but they've been given the authority to keep law in order and uh, to keep a fallen society from spiraling into anarchy and to completely get out of control. So that's what Peter is talking about in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Uh, you have to understand where this worldly government came from and where this authority came from, and it was given to them by God for the Lord's sake. 
and you are subject to their authority unless they tell you to blaspheme God, but everything else they tell you to do, you, you, as long as it's not immoral and it doesn't blaspheme God, you do it. Now, we're in a constitutional republic. Peter was not. Nothing wrong with you know using the constitutional rights that God has allowed you to have under the government that you're under and I'm under, uh, but we must put government in its right place. If you're just saying, I want my voice to be heard because I'd like to play, pay lower taxes, I think uh, there may be a chance that I could do something to uh, stand up for God's uh, standard for marriage or uh, uh, maybe something can be done to protect uh, innocent human life, and you've got to say so in it, you've got to vote, you should, you should participate, no doubt about it. But you must remember why government was instituted by God. Ultimately, it was to keep law and order. And if you place it in anything more than that, you need to be real careful with that. Because the kingdom that we are part of, we are sojourners. It is not of this world. And the government should never be put in a place of importance in your life or mine that exceeds the role of the church and the role of the followers of Christ. Government does not bring revival, never has, never will. Only the church brings revival. And you cannot solve uh, spiritual problems unless you are willing to, uh, to try to combat them with spiritual answers. So two functions of the government officials in verse 14. Number one, uh, Peter says, to punishment. Just talked about that. Uh, the Greek word that he's using here actually means to avenge. Um, and, and if you don't believe that, go to Luke uh, chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, uh, and you see verses 3 through 5. So turn with me to Luke 18, 3 through 5. I hope this has been as informative to you as it has been for me. Uh, all right, so let's go to 3 through 5, and, uh, and this is talking about uh, the, the unjust judge uh, that Jesus is talking about. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For, while, um, for uh, a while he refused, but after he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he not uh, delay over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, uh, will he find faith on this earth? And so he, he's talking about that, that, that here this judge was that didn't fear God and didn't care about people, but the more that the people demanded uh, justice, he finally gave in and gave it. And he said, if an unjust judge gives justice and an unjust government sometimes shows mercy, how much more will the ultimate authority, God, give mercy to those that he loves and those who continue to serve him and have a faith that Jesus says he expects to find? We also can, can, can do well by following the laws of the land, as it also says in chapter 14, what's the next thing? that Peter talks about that is the role of the government. It says, uh, to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So how about praising those that do well? There's examples in Scripture where people were, were under evil rule, and because they lived as good citizens and they knew that these people were representatives of, of Jehovah, of Yahweh, Joseph, in Genesis 41:38, he wins over 
the the Egyptians that have him in captivity, and they start giving him all this responsibility, and ultimately he's in a position to help his own people. Why? Because he was a good citizen. Uh, what about Daniel? Uh, Daniel uh, really is used to lead Nebuchadnezzar uh, to the fear of the Lord. Uh, we, we see this happen. Darius also changed the, uh, some of the things that he was doing uh, after watching uh, the behavior of these Hebrews. So the, the, the way we live out our lives also is a witness to the government. It's a witness to those that are in places of power. Maybe we can influence them. Uh, so that's one of the things that uh, we look at, and they do. We, how about free countries like ours do the same thing? I mean, we give out awards all the time to people we think are living as good citizens. And then don't forget verse 15, when Peter goes on, he said, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. The will of God. Everything comes back to the Lord. You, you, to put to silence here, the word he's used, it means to muzzle the ignorant. Uh, It says that um, uh, he's talking about self-involved, ignorant, foolish, senseless people is is the word that's being used here. Now, Jesus called the Pharisees who were hypocrites this phrase, the same phrase that Peter's using here, you know, that stands for uh, ignorant, um, uh, self-caused ignorance, meaning um, they, they brought this on themselves. They're foolish. They're senseless. Jesus called some of the Pharisees this um, in, uh, in Luke 11, 40. Uh, we do see this uh, also going on within the church, but that's a different topic for a different different day because what Peter is talking about here are the attacks of pagans in the world on the church. So what Peter is talking about in his very specific moment here, he's, he's being very specific. He's saying it's, it's the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of all these pagans who try to bring charges against the church. I mean, they're living in a pagan society, and he says, we need to, to follow the will of God and live in such a way that we may affect these pagans, and when these pagans try to come against the church, they're made to look foolish. And, and that's going on even right now. Even the way things are being handled uh, by people who are in positions right now, the church, our response to what's going on around us is going to go a long way. Uh, to try, you know, when we do live as hypocrites or, or we do look like we, we say one thing and then we live another, we don't do a good job of communicating our narrative, uh, I don't think we're doing our job. Because Peter said it's the will of God that we would live in such a way uh, that we would be such good citizens that if you came against the church, you'd be made to look foolish, not that you would find, um, you know, some legitimacy in the attacks. Uh, so he's he, that's what he's specifically talking about. Uh, so now let's move on to um, to verse sixteen. Verse sixteen. Here's the next thing that he says: Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Now we're free, but we're not free to do whatever we want, including disobey the law of the land. We, we can't use the fact, well, you know, we're free and uh, we answer to God and, and that's who we serve. All that's true, but what he's saying is don't use our salvation, don't use our freedom in Christ as an excuse not to obey laws that really don't meet the criteria. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm free to do whatever I want to do. No, we're not. And we're not free to disobey the laws of the land unless we can prove that they're asking us to blaspheme God or they're asking us to do something immoral. Uh, You're not going to get pulled over for a speeding ticket and say, well, I don't know why you gave me the speeding ticket. I was on my way to church. 
Has that ever worked? It rarely does, by the way, and sadly, I can speak from experience. Uh, but so if we don't follow the laws of the land, us being Christian is not an excuse for us to be showed some sort of mercy. Well, I can't believe they gave me a ticket. I was on my way to church. Yeah, but you were speeding, so you get a ticket. Uh, and that, that's what Peter is talking about. We're, we're free, but we're free in the kingdom of God, but this freedom does not allow us to just pick and choose what laws that we will or will not obey, uh, especially paying taxes. Well, I didn't pay my taxes, uh, but, I, but I used the extra savings of the fake tax stuff I sent in, and I took some deductions that I know were sinful, but now I've got more money so I can give more to my church. That's the kind of games that Peter says we do not play. We pay our taxes. We follow the laws. We're good citizens. Verse 17, what else? Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Yeah, honor all men. Honor authority. Honor all people regardless. Uh, No one is above Christ's redemption. I don't care how evil they may seem or unfair they, they may seem, this is a person that could be redeemed by Jesus. And, and we, we need to remember that when we're, when we're bringing honor to those that sometimes we don't like, even in positions of authority. Honor the brotherhood. Make much of someone uh, regard with favor. This is what J- uh, uh, Jesus was talking about in John chapter 14 in our study of John. They'll recognize my church. They'll recognize my disciples by the way y'all treat each other. And I've heard, you've heard this a thousand times. So have I. Why does the church sometimes act like a military that shoots their wounded? Uh, we need to we need to talk about. We need to really concentrate on the things that we believe together, and maybe spend less time arguing and being foolish about secondary issues that we may not agree on. And, and we need to, to show special favor and special love to the fellow members of the church. Sometimes it seems like that we spend more time making a fuss of people who are not members of the church, who are wicked, evil celebrities, and we make much of them and make very little out of the person that uh, is sitting there in our Bible study with us that's a brother or sister in Christ. Um, uh, Peter is telling us to honor everyone, love the brotherhood, and the next thing he says, of course, is to fear God. Fear God, the, the word he's using here is with reverence and awe. The fear of God will drive out the fear of men. I love that statement. Fear God. When you're in these situations and you're under the authority of people you may not like or people that persecute you or people that are coming against you, and I'll read to you what uh, what Jesus said about this in Matthew 10, 28, uh, but what Peter is saying right now, and I've heard Steve Farrar say this, and I love what Steve has to say when, when talking about fearing humans who, who, who may not like you or maybe have been given some kind of authority that scares you. They're all under the authority of God. He placed every one of them there. And I love when Steve Farrar said this, don't walk around in fear of another human being that God has to give permission for them to even take their next breath. God has to allow them to, to, to live. 
you know, fear fear God. Do not have with reverence and all. Do not fear humans. Even when you're doing the obedience, you're doing this as worship. You're doing this because God told us to. You're not doing it because you're terrified of some human who's in a place of government that God had to allow that person to be there in the first place. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew ten twenty eight. We shouldn't fear people more than we fear God. Now, now fearing God. That makes all the sense in the world. The Bible tells us that's where all wisdom begins. But listen to what Jesus said to put it in perspective in Matthew 10, 28. Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. If you want to fear something that makes sense, fear God and reverent all. You find out in the beginning when the church really was churning in the book of Acts, it said that they were constantly in awe of God. Have we lost that? Sometimes I think we're more in awe of a political party than we are of God. We're more enamored with some politician than we are with God. Would would we be as public and open about pointing people to our true king, as we are with our campaign signs and all of our T-shirts and hats and bumper stickers and and falling all over ourselves about some political party or some political candidate, could we at least could we at least be as in awe and enamored with God as we are some goofy, uh, terribly flawed politician? Flawed politician. You know, I, I think God's a bigger deal. And this earthly government, they might be able to kill you, but they're not going to decide where you go to heaven or hell. Jesus said, my father is. Again, write that down, Matthew 10, 28. I'd take that verse and I'd put it somewhere in your office, somewhere in your home where you could see it so you'd understand and we'd stop all this foolishness of fearing the things that we should not fear but but refusing to fear what we should fear, and that's God. So the next thing he says is bring honor to the one who sits on the human throne. Now, Peter here, don't, don't miss this again. When in, in verse 17, when he says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. We should give honor to whomever holds in our country the office of the presidency. And there was a time where we did, even if you disagreed with them. And I've been guilty of not honoring people who God put there. I can disagree with them, but I still should honor them. And I have been guilty of not doing that. And Peter says that we should. And, and if I, before I get all say, well, Peter don't understand some of these people. Peter, Peter don't understand some of these people end up being presidents of the United States. There, Some of them are repulsive people. Okay, well, Peter just said that he was going to honor the very emperor that's going to crucify him upside down. You want to make your case to Peter about you can't bring honor? to some government uh, official that God placed in power. I think if Peter could do it, I think we could. Uh, God God loves Nero, and Peter knows it. And you know what Peter's thinking? Maybe I'll live in a way that Nero will change his mind. Maybe I'll live in a way that he'll want what I have. Sometimes honoring these people in these uh, sitting on these human thrones brings them in the presence of God. And I gave you the example a minute ago. Nebuchadnezzar, we know at least because of uh, Daniel's, the way Daniel and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego lived, that he he became a God-fearer. Now, God had to get his attention, but he became a God-fearer, and we know that Darius made some changes uh, about prayer because of uh, 
of the refusal of Daniel to bow to him, but he saw how he honored God and how he lived his life. The next thing that we talk about in verse 18, uh, Peter says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Now, we got to understand uh, that the Bible does talk about doulos, bond servants, and this is what we would call slaves. That's not what he's talking about right now. Now, the Bible does talk about that in other places, but that's not what Peter is talking about. When he's using the word uh, servant here, he's talking about, and in, in really the way uh, you probably live and I live, more of an employee and an employer uh, r- arrangement. Uh, so it, let's look at what he keep, continues to say uh, about the, 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 the entire setup of an employee working with an employer. A lot of these were people who worked in the homes of other people, and they were given uh, something in return for their work. They were not slaves. Uh, this is not doulos. That's not the word he's using here. So let's go through 19 and 20, then we'll unpack all of it. He said, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin that you're beaten for it, then you endure? That doesn't really say much. But but when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So so let's let's unpack this a little bit. And some of it you're not it's not you some of you're not gonna like, but it, it's what, what Peter's talking about. So so in eighteen he's talking about the requirement. Uh, again, this, this Greek word here refers to more of a house servant, uh, more like an employee, an employer, an arrangement. This is not doulos. Still very difficult position. Uh, and, and, you know, we're talking about pe- uh, people who may be an employer that are gentle, people that may be moderate, somewhere in between, some that are fair, some that are forbearing, some that are unjust. Uh, uh, this, this, all, this, this means like you have a boss that is crooked, that is unfair. He talks about both. So, so the requirement is that we are to subject ourselves to the masters and pay them respect no matter what kind of uh, employer they are. The reason, the reason is really good. You may be persecuted to glorify God for your devotion to God. So that, that's the purpose. Why, why should I behave and show respect even when I have an employer that is unjust? Because Peter says it really doesn't matter. He says, servants be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but to the unjust, for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Uh, he's saying, what, what, what credit is it? So he says, uh, first, first of all, the reason is that we might glorify God by the way that we handle the, the treatment that we're getting from this person. And then there's the provocation uh, in verse 20. Uh, to be beaten or punished when you deserve it doesn't do much, but to endure suffering that you don't deserve preaches. Do it in a way that accept, is acceptable to God. Uh, if, as a matter of fact, if you go through the different Psalms, you will find that King David, it, it's much different when King David is talking about all the calamity that, that, that was brought on his life by his own actions, Absalom, the death of his baby, all the horrible things that David did. But if and you read those Psalms, then you see him realizing that he brought all this on himself. But when you read the Psalms, when David is suffering, when he doesn't really think that he did anything to deserve it, there's a whole different tone to those kind of Psalms. So, so what he's saying is, 
if you're in a, an employee situation and you have a great employer and you go, man, I really behave and I show him respect or her respect and I really do a good job, so what? Everybody would. But Peter says, now, when you're dealing with somebody who mistreats you when you don't even deserve it, you know, that that's uh, that'll preach. So if you get punished because you're not a good employee, well, then, yeah, you got what you deserved. Uh, if you brought it on yourself, there's no glory in that. But if you if, if you're if you're being, uh, you know, persecuted unjustly, then that preaches. Man, look, look at the way he and, and look at the way that she is living under this boss that is that is unjust. It's not fair and, and mistreating them. You know what Peter says? Oh, that'll preach. You be respectful. You be a model employee. You know why? Because you're doing it for worship of God, not because what this person is doing is okay. Uh, and then he goes into uh, what happens in verse 21. This is submit as saints. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow his steps. He committed he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Our calling is to an incredible example. I mean, when we look on how we're supposed to live, when governments and employers and people mistreat us, are any of us prepared to say, the way I've been treated is really bad because I'm perfect. There's no deceit in me at all. I've never done anything wrong. I've, I've, never, I've never committed any sin. Yeah, on our best day, none of us can claim that. But then we look to the example of Jesus, and Peter reminds these that are living in an unjust government and living, living in an unjust situation, and they're being persecuted, and they're being killed, and they're being chased solely because of their faith in Christ, which means they, they acknowledge him as Lord, meaning deep down, Caesar and the Caesars of the world all know that deep down, we don't acknowledge anybody on earth as our Lord. And that bothers especially kings and tyrants. The reason why the church is usually persecuted by a tyrannical government isn't because they want to stamp out Christians living out their life. Usually it happens because deep down, the follower of Christ has pledged his or her allegiance truthfully in their spirit to the Lord Jesus, not to the Lord government. And that's deep down why the government at some point will come to get you. But what Peter is saying is that when we're enduring these things, either in the workplace or from as a citizen of a country, 
we look to the example of Jesus and we know what we should do because he did it when there was nothing that brought this on himself. In him there was no deceit. When he was reviled, he did not return that by reviling them back. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, when he's being stoned, and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, back to where he's supposed to be, standing, not sitting. And Stephen says, receive my spirit. Then he says, Lord, don't hold this against them. Well, see, that's following the example of his Lord and Savior. And then he bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live in righteousness. Why would we be sinful about anything, including submitting to the government instituted by God to keep law and order, pay our taxes, and live as good citizens, to work as good employees, because to not do that means that when Jesus went to the cross and bore our sins, we are thinking, that's not good enough for me. My response will not be to live as a righteous person. I'm going to continue to abuse that grace, and thank you very much for going to the cross and suffering for me, but don't ask too much of me, especially if I don't think it's fair. It's unjust. Well, I got news for you. What happened to Jesus wasn't fair and it wasn't just, but he did it anyway because he loved us and he cared enough about our eternity that he would go to the cross to set things right with our Holy Father. And I think if we kind of keep that at the forefront of who we are, I don't think uh, living as law-abiding citizens is too difficult to endure, especially those of us that are fortunate enough to live in the United States of America on its worst day. And there are some really bad days, including now. Don't get caught up in this attempt to take us back to the days of Noah when we just decide that we want to govern ourselves. Because I promise you, when fallen people decide that we'll go whatever way we want to and we won't know law and order, it leads to God regretting that he ever made mankind. I love 25. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Our conversion. We were sheep who wandered off, and Jesus, our shepherd, has brought us home. The perfect shepherd. And yes, the sheep analogy, you've heard it many times. It's a very stupid animal. Uh, I was reading one of the commentaries where uh, there was actually a, a ship that was loading livestock, and one guy wanted to put to test uh, just how dumb sheep could be. Uh, so he put up a petition for the sheep when they came off the, the ship to get down to be loaded, and they could step over it. Would they just stop? And they did. And all the rest of them just stood there. They stopped, and, they, and it, was, it was low enough the sheep could get over it. So the guy takes one of the sheep and then puts it over the petition, and then the others begin to step over the petition. He then removed the petition, and guess what happened with the sheep that still remained? They still stepped as if something was there. 
even though it was gone. And the analogy that uh, Jesus uses for us is that we were like sheep, and we are so full of ourselves as if we know better than God. How embarrassing. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the message, and thank you for the clarity of putting everything in its proper place. May we never lose sight of making sure we understand why you instituted worldly governments and what it looked like after our fall when we attempted to just go our own way. Thank you for law and order. Thank you for those you've placed in that position. Uh, Lord, I know that there are some who get placed in those positions that shouldn't be there by our standards. Uh, but you allow these things to, to test the genuineness of our faith. And may we fully research and understand that we give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But Lord, may we never lose sight to give you what is yours. And you bought us on a cross. May we never look to that moment when you bore our sins and think that we have the right to claim that we don't follow you or to take that grace and to abuse it by saying that your scriptures and your word and your call to us is just too much. Thank you, Lord, for not looking at us when you had to go to the cross and saying, you brought this on yourself. And for me to go to the cross and lower myself to, to be a servant, to be a human baby and to take on human flesh and be reviled and spit on, and a crown of thorns placed on my head. I'm sorry, human race. That's just too much for me to endure. You brought it on yourself. Thank you for being gracious, Lord. And may we never refuse to pass that same grace on to others. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being with us today. If I can help you in any way, rick at rickandbubba.com.